2: KMOX and your service. Welcome to the St. Louis Composting Garden Hotline. Now, Mike Miller on KMOX.
3: Thank you, George, and welcome, folks. Thanks for stopping by. We'll be taking the good gardening stroll shortly, but right now you can give us a call 314. 314- or 1-800-925-1120 with questions, comments, or who knows what. Maybe some advice for Mike Miller. Hmm. Yes, that's certainly a possibility. On Saturday morning, we get together and we have a roundtable discussion about what's impacting your yard, whether it's back, front, or side. How about that specialty garden space that you're dreaming about Just don't know how to get started or don't know how to maintain it. How about the taste of the tropics? All those house plants that you have inside. And the difference between potting soil and potting mixes. How to improve your soil outdoors so you can have better growth on the plant material you choose. Is this time to shear? Is it time to prune? How do you do this? Orchestration, hopefully? Yes, that's what I'm going to help you do. Not necessarily telling you what to do, but uh, certainly offering some insight, and then you can make the decision on your own. And by the way, this is your show, and I appreciate you inviting me into your home, your car, or wherever you happen to be listening. Another very important player in this game is Alex. He's producing today. And uh, Alex, when you call, just need your name and where you're calling from. What you're calling about, he doesn't, he has no way to transmit that to me, so we have to wait until you go on the air. So I'm Mike Miller, by the way, I've been hosting the Garden Hotline since 1994, and I during the week I can come to your home, sometimes on the weekend as well, and do a landscape consultation, which I call a walk and talk. You can go to my website, MikeMillerDesigns.com, on the homepage has my email address and phone number where I can be reached. Uh, professionally, I've worked at the Botanical Garden. I've taught at the Community College at Merrimack. I've taught at the Botanical Garden. And uh, I helped found the, co, uh, the bug store, which was a predatory insect store at that time. I'm not sure if they still sell predatory insects or not. They have a lot of stuff, that's for sure. And I've written five gardening books. And... Uh, <sighs> Today's Good Gardening Stroll is brought to you by St. Louis Composting, 636-861-3344. The eastern sky was really starting to get an orange tint to it, in- indicating sunrise soon. And south off, Jeff- off Gravois on Jefferson, then east on Arsenal. A grove of pine trees stood out among all the deciduous trees. And a signage declares milkweed for monarchs. St. Louis Butterfly Project. A jogger went by with his dog. The dog kept turning his head back and wondering, what in the world is this guy doing out here this time of day? And he's not even jogging. And they head south down on Jefferson. A metal sign is kind of a fleur-de-lis. It declares where this is. It's actually Benton Park. As I walked along the walkway last summer's Fall and fall as well. Coneflowers was now providing seed for birds. A large playground opposite the tennis courts. Lots of fallen leaves. And they were really sparkling this morning with the morning frost. An outdoor recreation facility? Yes. Partially funded by the the National Park Service, which is a part of the Interior Department. That's what they're declaring. A fountain in the circular pond adds really nice sound to that particular area. A bunch of crows fly by. I'm not ever really sure where the crows head. They always seem to be heading in that same direction. And uh, there must be something down that way. A larger lake bends and curves. That's a little bit east of where this circular pond slash lake is. And it bends and curves, and it really makes a nice reflection of all the walkway lights. Sweet gum balls really offer you a chance to do some uh, impromptu rollerblading, or I guess roller skating, actually. Huge oaks reach high into the sky. Newly installed variety of locust trees I've never heard of. I'll be interested to see what they look like when summer rolls around. They're called purple robe, and they do have their trunks wrapped. And then trunk wrapping can be as a result of Them needing to maybe protect the bark of the trunk from sun, from getting sun scald, but also to prevent any kind of, let's say, smaller wildlife from chewing on the trunk of the tree. And it was a nice time to walk around in Benton Park this morning. So it was uh, just a perfect way to start the day. So Mike Miller, KMOX Garden Hotline, 314-436-7900 or 1-800-925-1100.
2: Once again, Mike Miller on KMOX.
3: Yes, folks, any questions, concerns, or comments about your landscape or houseplants or anything else? 314 436 7900 or 1 800 925 1120. We have open lines, so you could be the first one that we speak to today. So, other things that you need to be thinking about yes, it's the time of year where Oh, things are really slowing down and uh, in your yard and you kind of interest is a little bit waning. But still remember that things like cool season lawn, your fescues and your bluegrasses, they could still, even though it's cool, continue to grow. So don't put your mower away. Don't winterize it yet. Because you may have to do another mowing or two for your the benefit of your lawn. Because you don't want your lawn to elongate too much, those blades to get too long, because when they do, and we have snow, we have ice, we have rain, or I think on Monday they're even predicting rain, then they all get sort of bent over on top of each other, and that just sets up a really dangerous fungus situation. And again, during the colder weather, the fungus problems are not as deadly as they are during the summertime, but they still cause problems for your lawn. And we know that growing lawn in this region, this area, is extremely difficult, regardless of what type. So, Because we're on the northern virtually tier of being able to grow warm-season grasses like zoysia, and we're on the southern edge of being able to grow cool-season grasses like fescues and bluegrasses. And at this transition point, that's why we just have to, with our weather, our humidity, and everything else – it's just absolutely a battle. So do the few things that may make a difference. So just keep doing that. Let's head to the phones and let's go and see what's going on with Chuck. Chuck, how are you today?
4: Hey, Mike, good morning. How are you, sir? Very good. Mike, uh, when it got cold uh, in November last month, right? Uh, one of my neighbors, uh, somebody use their front yard as a, as a shortcut across a corner. So, uh, uh, how let's, let's cause I live on a corner too. So, uh, what the heck do I do if that should ever happen? Cause uh, it was a cold, it was one of those, you know, below freezing nights and the grass now in, in the guy's yard is just like white or tan and he's, he's got a really nice yard. So I guess it must be killing him, but what the heck would you do if, if, if that, if, That
3: happens this time of year. There's really not too much you can do. I mean, the garden centers, I'm not sure if they still have any sod, but I don't know if you want to even go out there and cut, let's say, these damaged areas out and lay sod in there. You almost have to kind of live with it until we get, you know, past more or less winter time. And when the springtime rolls around, then you go out there, you rake it, you prepare it with a a seed starter type fertilizer and then put some seed down or put the sod down. Because putting sod down even this late in the year, even if it's still available, it's, you know, it's cold. The ground is cold. And even if we've had these warm days and everything else, the ground is still, the temperature of the ground, the soils are still going down. And then for the sod to be able to actually push some new roots down into the ground before it gets severely cold, that may not happen. So you've almost got to sort of live with the ugliness of it this time of year and just hope, you know, that warmer season, let's say springtime, is going to come quickly. But we know it really doesn't. We don't know when it's going to come.
4: Yeah. Okay, Mike. Thanks. Yeah, I'm glad. Uh, I'm sorry for that guy, but I'm glad it didn't happen to me. Thank you.
3: <laughs> right. I agree. But I mean, it could, it's not only just, you know, residential type things. I see people, you know, drive through parks and stuff because we live near Christie Park and Leisure Park and things like that. And people run into like dead end streets. Then they'll just cut right across the parks. It's just kind of incredible to see how much that, you know, that happens. So. The city has to deal with a lot of that kind of stuff as well. So 314-436-7900 or 1-800-925-1120. Claire lives in Afton. Hi, Claire.
5: Hi. I was wondering, is it too late for me to plant my garlic outside? I know you're supposed to do it in October, but I've been a little preoccupied.
3: <laughs> well, <laughs> it's, it's going to be a roll of the dice because, we, okay. do, you know, it may, not, it may make it fine. Garlic's fairly tough. But it may not get itself established enough to be able to withstand, you know, if the cold's coming really quick. And I think next week, uh, like, I don't I think like maybe on Wednesday, it's not even going to get above freezing. So the low temperature is going to be in the upper teens and the high is going to be in the upper 20s or low 30s. Okay, so here's a
5: question. Could I start it inside in pots?
3: So you have the bulbs right now.
5: I do, Uh uh-huh.
3: I would say, yeah, give that a shot.
5: They're my own, you know, garlic that I Ah. harvested in August or July. Right. And so I want to get them in the ground in October. Right. Um, Someone said, well, the ground isn't frozen yet, so she thought maybe I could still do it. But you have a point about if it doesn't have time to get established, then it would just freeze them off. Right. Because, okay. I
3: mean, the garlic, you're only, how deep do you plant it? Only like one to two inches, right? Oh, yeah. yeah. So, I mean, that's very close to the surface. So, that's really the coldest part. Deeper down okay. into the ground, you know, the ground won't be as cold as it is near the surface. So, that's kind of okay. what you're looking at.
5: So, maybe I should just start them inside and then yeah. I could move them out like um, in January or something?
3: Yeah, weather dependent. But, yeah, so I probably, my tendency would be more towards Valentine's Day. Oh,
5: okay. Or should I just wait and just plant them outside, you know, like in February?
3: Well, you could. I mean, there's nothing wrong with that. The garlic bulbs, as long as they stay firm and everything through the entire wintertime, or you can just, you know, you could just put them in potting mix in a sunny window and just, you know, kind of see what happens.
5: Okay, because I know if you live up north, they're not planting them until February or March. Right, exactly. Okay. Thank you.
3: Okay, great. Enjoy. Bye-bye. Garlic, yes. And now let's go over to Carl's yard, and he lives in Webster Groves. Hi, Carl.
6: Hey, Mike. Uh, I have a question. Uh, My yard is a combination of uh, fescue and zoysia, and I've had a real good yard this year. I've been cutting it with, uh, oh, three, three three-and-a-half inches tall, uh, probably a little taller than that since the mower has to rest on the ground. I'm wondering, uh, should I lower my uh, a lawnmower maybe one notch to cut it into uh, going into winter?
3: That would probably be advisable. I'm afraid it
6: might fall over or something, you know, like you've been talking about. <laughs>
3: right. Yeah, that would probably be advisable. I mean, just okay. in general. Now, I'm curious, if you have the mixture of, you know, the cool season and warm season, I'm sure the zoysia is totally brown by
6: now, Oh, yes, it? it's, it's definitely all brown. And- okay. And, of course, it's all frosty this morning. The whole yard looks brown. But, but no, the the, uh, fescue is uh, still green, and I'm continuing to cut it. But I'm figuring uh, this may be one of the last times, and I was wondering if now would be a good time to just lower that more one notch. Right.
3: And then, you know, bag your clippings or make sure you get all that leaf debris if you have a lot of fallen leaves. That's a good way to do it. If you if mower does have bagging potential, just run over, chop the leaves. If They get thrown back into the bag, and then just dump the bag, which will have the chopped up leaves as well as the grass blades.
6: Yeah. No, I, my yards have been pretty well cleaned up with the leaves and such. Good. I just continue to do it because leaves blowing in from other uh, yards around the area.
3: Exactly. But, right. but
6: uh, I think you've answered my question. I really appreciate it. Well, great. Well,
3: perfect. Yeah, Webster Thank Groves you. has a lot of trees, so there could be a lot of leaves. I used to live in Webster Groves myself on Yateman. And uh, now let's go to Patrick, and Patrick's lives in Florissant. Hi, Patrick.
1: Hello, Mr. Miller. Hi. Um, I have a question about a Christmas cactus. Um, we put it outside. It's in like a one-gallon pot, mm. and we put it outside out of the sun in the summertime. seems to love it out there. Um, But my son was—he come over and cut my grass, and we had a bucket out there and had some water in. He put this uh, uh, Christmas cactus in the bucket, and it sat in this water for like a week. Yeah, it it got mad, and the leaves got. uh, When I finally found it, the leaves were kind of turning red, like it was really stressed. And um, it seems to be bouncing back since we got it inside, and I've got two whole flowers on it this year. And I don't think I'm going to really get any more like it has in the past. But um, is there anything I can do to uh, make it quit working so hard, like a fertilizer or something like that, uh, to where it'll help it out?
3: If it's, you know, if it's completely recovered from the stress of being, you know, let's say drowned more or less or close to being drowned, then uh, get a cactus fertilizer and do it at half label rate and just do fertilize it once a month and that's probably all you you know would need to do. But if any of the leaves are looking really wrinkly or anything like that or that means that leaf is probably close to dead. And so they it sounds like you know you've had this for a while so you know what you know healthy foliage looks like. And everything else, and you've got actually a couple flowers, so that indicates that even though it was almost drowned, it still had the the ability to push push out the flowers, because that's the most stressful part of the season for any kind of plant material.
1: Right, and uh, the second question about the same cactus, it says, I mean, it's called the Christmas cactus, but ours always blooms. Around Thanksgiving. And we've got some friends that have a Christmas cactus, and they said they get theirs to bloom probably three or four times a year. How do I do that?
3: Basically, it's like, you know, a whole process of just letting it go totally dormant, you know, keeping it in bright sun, keeping it in a cool, close to a cooler window. That will probably help. So, and again, I don't know if you don't routinely fertilize. But, you know, just kind of build up the nutrient level in the, you know, in the potting mix. And definitely don't put it into a larger pot. If it's in a one-gallon pot, that should be adequate for a long, long time.
1: So should I uh, not put it outside in the summertime?
3: No, 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 that's fine.
1: Yeah, because it seems to like it as long as cause we put it out in the sun once, and man, it did not like that Yeah, that's
3: Sunburn uh, City.
1: Yeah, so we put it back uh, up closer to the house, out of the sun, morning sun, afternoon sun, everything. Right. All right, so get a get a, uh, a fertilizer. So, all right, I will do that, and I sure appreciate your show.
3: Sure, and thanks for having me on your show. And, uh, yeah, make sure it's a fertilizer for cactus. Mike Miller, KMOX Garden Hotline. If you have any questions, concerns, or comments, 314-436-7900 or 1-800-925-1120.
2: Once again, Mike Miller on KMOX.
3: Yes, 314-436-7900 or 1-800-925-1120 with your questions, concerns, or comments. Also, this time of year, you can go out and just take a look at walking around your yard. It's going to be a nice day today. But uh, start look down at your lawn, whether it's a cool season lawn or a warm season lawn, and see how many weed circumstances there are. That have sprouted up those are the annual cool season weeds that the best way to get rid of those would have been last august by putting a pre-emergent down so and just be ready for the warm season weeds because the in about two months or so maybe three months when the forsythia is in bloom that's when you'd be putting the pre-emergent to get rid of those so these annual weeds are just persistent they're horrible Let's head over to Jim's yard. Jim, how are you today?
7: Good morning, Mike. Hey, those weeds you are just talking about, I did look out
8: there, and I'm in year two of restoring my
7: lawn. Had a great first year. But I do have some crabgrass that came up in a few places, and, of course, there's some bare spots there, too. So how do I go about putting a pre-emergent down for the crabgrass? and also trying to reseed those come spring and i have one other question too please
3: yeah you can't really do both of them it's just a little bit it's very it's a juggling act and most of the time it's just going to be a failure so you have to decide what's the most important getting rid of the weeds how you know how much how big of an area is, are they let's say encompassing in your you know in your landscape in your lawn or and then if it's not all that much Go for the lawn seed and get that established, and then wait until next year, and then that's the time when you go after, let's say, the crabgrass.
7: Okay. My other question is kind of short. We got a couple of bald cypress saplings at Arbor Day last year, and we planted them. They're doing really well. And I was just curious. They seem to have clipped the leaders on both of those. One first question is why, and then will a new leader emerge?
3: Yeah, a new leader should emerge. It's probably just you know more or less – keeping everything kind of uniform in size and everything else. So it's pro- it's nothing to worry about at all.
7: Okay.
8: Thank you very much. Certainly.
3: Yeah, bald cypress are great trees. Hopefully you understand how huge they they're, they're going to get. Maybe not in our lifetimes, but they get massive, and they have a lot of, let's say, surface-type roots because they're from swampy areas. So the surface roots help stabilize them in those wet, swampy areas. Lana, how are you today?
9: Hi, how are you? Very good. Um I have a question about mulch. So, um we put mulch around in our front um we just have uh, like different bushes and that type thing around. So each year we you know, we put the mulch down. My question is cuz we get these they they look like little soft little eggs, but they're like mushy like a mushroom. So I'm assuming they're a type of fungus, um, but and they're underneath. They get buried down into the mulch. We don't remove the mulch each year. We just put the mulch on top, mm-hmm. the new mulch. Should we clear all of that out, put something down, or is that not even anything to worry about?
3: It's nothing to worry about. Generally, if it's a type of fungus that you're describing, and it's virtually growing in the mulch. First of all, if you go to certain places like St. Louis composting, you're not going to have that problem. So, But overall, any kind of fungus or you know mushrooms or anything like that only grows on dead plant material. So it doesn't impact any kind of live plant material, whether it's in a bed space with shrubs, whether it's out in your lawn or anything else. Those type of, let's say, plants, even though they're technically a plant they're not sort of traditionally as we think of plants grow on dead stuff only
9: okay so i mean these have no stem they're just little round
3: right well there's all kinds of fungus you know mushroom type things
9: oh okay okay but they're not harmful to anything no okay so we don't have to all right great Thank you very much. That was my question. Certainly.
3: And, you know, if you want to, you can go out and maybe once or twice a year, if this persistently can, you know, year after year becomes a problem, just take a garden rake and just kind of rake it a little bit. And that should at least eliminate some of the plant, and some of the mushrooms, or just don't bother with it.
9: Okay, great. Thank you. Sir, I appreciate that.
3: My pleasure. And uh, thanks for having me on your show. And let's head over to Chuck's yard. Chuck, how are you today?
10: Mike, thank you. Uh, I want two questions. One is my wife has got a, a, a Christmas cactus, and it's really beautiful. It, it's, she got it in the window, <clears throat> but only one side has got flowers on it. The other side don't have no flowers on it. Is there anything she can do or, or we could do to, to get flowers grow on the other side?
3: Uh, basically, they're growing because of the you know it's a light factor, and also you know it's a cooler side because it's near the window. So to get Christmas cactus to have flowers all the way around, you'd have to go do like what the Missouri Botanical Garden does with their Christmas cactus, have a greenhouse so you get light, equal amount of light all the way around it. And I know you're not going to want to build a gr- I'm just exaggerating. But uh, it's just you know, if you've got some flowers, turn it so you can see the flowers, and, you know, when, you're, when they're in bloom, and uh, that's about all you're going to be able to do.
10: Second question is, uh, I I watch Homes on Homes, and he mentioned, I I live on two acres, and uh, I got a lot of uh, wooded area, and uh, I don't have no grass, but he said something about a shade grass. Is there a certain kind of shade grass I could get to put back there?
3: In this region, you know, in a wooded area, shade grasses, they're really just very sparse. Maybe from an oblique angle, from a distance away, it could look like you have lawn, but you're never really going to have successful lawn unless you, let's say, put the seed down with seed starter twice a year, and just, uh, you it's never going to be a thick, nice lawn under any circumstances.
10: Okay, no, I just that's a wooded area, and I just right now I ain't got nothing but uh, mud, and it, <laughs> it was covered with leaves right now. But I was just wondering if if I, if I get a special kind of grass and put back there where i can
3: have this a thin layer of grass now i mean it will it'll be sparse but then you're not going to get rid of the leaves so the leaves are going to bury it and then it's you're going to have to start all over again so it's going to be a very involved process you have to get the, all the leaves the fallen leaves out of there to put the seed down because the seed has to be in contact with the ground it can't just be laying on top of the leaves that have fallen
10: well, thank you very much, Mike.
3: Certainly. My pleasure. Yeah, maybe consider uh, traditional-type ground cover in that situation.
10: Oh, okay. What would what, what that—we mean like what?
3: Like, uh, let's say, Baltic, Bulgarian, English, ivy, something along that line.
10: Oh, okay. Okay. Thank you.
3: Yeah, just get a couple flats and just start a couple different areas. Plant them only about six or eight inches apart initially. And uh, then you'll just have green pat, you know, green spots. But slowly but surely, just add another couple flats every year.
10: Well, last year I had I had nothing but weeds grow back there. I mean, and I let them grow. I had a weeded area. I mean, it was they got big high, and well, I got tired of looking at that, so I cut it down.
3: <laughs>
10: but anyway, like right now, that's all I got. That's all I got is leaves and mud.
3: <laughs> uh, and i'm sure you have a deer problem too
10: well really i, don't. I live in south county and okay. i really really don't we we had deer here last year but that was the only time i've ever seen deer here
3: yeah a lot of times the deer in areas like that only if there's major flooding that drives them up to the certain areas that they don't normally go to
11: oh okay
10: uh, thank you very much sir
3: certainly my pleasure and 314 436 7900 or 1 800 925
2: 1120. Once again, Mike Miller on KMOX.
3: Yes, folks, questions, concerns, or comments, 314 436 7900 or 1 800 925 1120. This is the time of year to have uh, an arborist come out and take a look at your trees. I mean, we have, you probably know if you've been a long time listener, Three sugar maples because we're on a corner and one of them has two pretty good-sized branches that are dead. The barks left off about two years ago. I keep waiting for the branches to fall. We did call the street or street department and told them that these branches may fall on a car that's parked out there or something like that. But I understand they have a whole lot of trees throughout the city to take care of. And these are not huge maple trees yet, probably... The caliper, which is the diameter, of the trunk about a foot or two off the ground, is only about uh, maybe 12 or 14 inches at the most, probably closer to 12. So that even if the branch falls, it's not going to cause major destruction. But I can't figure out. They're on opposite sides of the tree, almost uh, only a couple feet apart. And why those two branches off this whole tree you know, has died, and the rest of the tree looks fairly healthy. It's not as thick as far as foliage goes as the other sugar maples, but um, it's just—it's kind of a somewhat of a mystery. Anyway, let's head over to Jim's yard, and Jim, what's going on? Hello. Hi, Jim.
12: Yes, thanks for taking my call. Sure. Um, I have a couple couple of tree questions. So I had a cedar tree in my front yard, and several years ago a windstorm came, and obviously blew it down. So uh, I want to replace it, but I want to replace it with uh, something the same thing that's a non-leafing tree, like a spruce or a pine. My question is, um, which will grow the fastest and the tallest, and which one would you recommend? Also, is it safe to uh, plant that in the same area that the other tree blew down?
4: Yeah, and, the, uh, as far you.
12: as
3: in the area, just not exactly over where the old stump was. But probably if you've got plenty of room, and uh, I would probably look at the Norway spruce would be my suggestion. Okay. If you want a tree that doesn't, is not going to get very big, that's very slow growing, then you go towards the Colorado type spruces.
12: So for the big one, i will take the Norway spruce.
3: Exactly. And they get okay, huge. Thanks. But it's not going to happen overnight by or even in a couple years.
12: Right. Yeah, so that's what I wanted to so far basically with shade, so I'll just go that route. Okay. All right. Thank you, sir. Certainly.
3: If anybody else has any questions, we got a couple phone lines open, so you can give a call at 314-436-7900 or 1-800-925-1120. As I was talking about the annuals or the <laughs> weeds just in general, an annual weed has the entire growth cycle sprouting, maturing, flowering, seed production every year. Now, other types of weeds, they're called biennial. They have a two-year cycle where the first overwintering is basically just the foliage. Then the second year, they produce flowers that produce seeds, and then those seeds drop to the ground, and then the plant dies. Perennial weeds are the ones that come back from crowns or root systems. And year after year after year. So an example of a biennial is like thistle. The annual is like, let's say, crabgrass or something along that line or henbit. And the perennial type is like uh, dandelions, you know that. And so there's all kinds of breakdowns of it, too. So let's head over to Rita's yard. Rita, how are you today? Hello, Rita. Rita, are you there?
0: I am here. Okay, good. Okay, uh, cat mint question. Okay. I know it's Nepata something or other, but I'm not going to look it up. You know what I'm talking about. Sure. Um, I've got a 100-foot retaining wall in my yard. You've seen it, but it's been a few years. And cat mint, cat mint was put in there, and it look, it's doing great, and the, the butterflies love it, et cetera, et cetera. Mm-hmm. But it's kind of it's getting in various spots. I've got probably half a dozen spots at least. Um and it's kind of, you know, getting a little big there and shadowing out some stuff next to it. So I'm thinking, I'm not a gardener, I like to be outside and I have a yard, but um, how do I divide that? Or, you know, if I want to, you know, stick it in some other spots, I've got some other spots where it would do fine and, you know, it's, it's all good and healthy. Chop it down or, well, you just tell me, how do, I, how do I spread the big clumps? Yeah, you're going to have to dig up virtually, and probably the best
3: thing to do is dig up the entire root system, the root ball, and just chop the root ball up. Now, there are circumstances where you can just, like, take a pie wedge out, but personally, I like to dig up the whole thing and chop it that way. And okay, then, put well, you know, put a section back, you know, in the spot yeah. where you've just removed it, and then move the other ones to a newer location.
0: Actually, that may work pretty well because in, in a couple situations they put in three next to each other. Right. And as you know, with when people install, you know, it looks great up front, but then oh my gosh, this is too much. Yeah. <laughs> you know. Yeah, and so they don't I could probably take out one of them, and it would fill in fine. So that I kind of like that idea. Um, so. In the spring, I'm guessing early spring. Yeah, uh,
3: probably any time. The stems are going to stay through the wintertime so you know where they are. So you could virtually any time when it starts warming up a little bit, uh, you could go out there and start digging. And you could just dig up a whole clump and move it. Let's say there's three of them in close proximity. Take the center one out and just move that whole clump to a new location. Or, or again, just divide that clump. Yeah, and a Put it in two locations,
0: yes, and I'm pulling it out and where i'm where I'm relocating it, it's like it's up above the retaining wall where the deer wander, and the deer don't well they can't re- yeah they can get to it where it is now, but you know sometimes it's you just have to live with it right, and um, deer
3: generally don't like cat mint.
0: yeah no they and that's that was part of the plants that were put in by the landscaper um for that issue because we'll get you know we'll get herds down here, right. not just you know one mosey and drew <laughs> so, <laughs> so um you know, they can they can coexist. Right. Uh, okay. Well, thank you very much. I will perhaps get that done in the spring. All right. Sounds perfect. <laughs> Remains to be seen.
3: <laughs> right. right. Bye now. Bye. And anytime you're going to dig up something, if we haven't had any rain recently, go ahead and make sure that you water the, the plant that you're going to dig up. And now let's head over to Jeff's yard. Hi, Jeff. Hey, how you doing? Good.
13: Hey, uh, quick question. Uh, I got some property out in the woods away from my house, and I put like about $3,000 worth of gravel in there to make a driveway about 200 feet.
5: And I really
13: didn't get there that much this summer. When we got back into this fall, my driveway was gone. Uh, is there anything I can just spray on there that would actually kill that grass that you know grew over it like that, that fast?
3: Basically, you know, it's going to take an all-purpose herbicide like Roundup or something along those lines because I'm assuming it's, let's say, Grassy type weeds and broadleaf weeds, both. So that's probably the best thing to go about doing it.
13: Okay, well, it will actually kill it all and just like blow away or something? Or yeah, know, what, what it'll
3: do is it, Roundup will go down and wait until the new active growth starts. Roundup will be absorbed into the plant material or go down through the, you know, whatever type of foliage it is and then down into the root system and then kill the root system. But you're probably going to have a consistent problem for quite a while to get it, so it's actually going to be a consistent, let's say, driveway. Okay, I got you. All right, well, appreciate it. Certainly. Yeah, and also realize that um, wooded area, then you're going to have acorns, you're going to have all kinds of other stuff. So, But Roundup will pretty much, you know, let's say newly germinated oak tree acorns, it will kill the young ones later on if they get kind of, let's say, a little bit bigger you might have to use roundup for killing woody plants so we do have several callers on the line you're going to have to hold on that's gloria patrick kathy Jean, and chesterfield missouri wow what a name is that and mike miller kmos garden hotline we will be back after the news
4: KMOX news time is nine oh six. I'm George Sell, St. Louis's news radio. KMOX.
2: Back to Mike Martin. KMOX and your service. Welcome to the St. Louis Composting Garden Hotline. Now Mike Miller on KMOX. And Mike,
4: Mike,
3: Mike, <laughs> Mike Martin. Where and Mike, I've got a good. And I, I want to say, Mike, Mike,
4: <laughs> Mike. I want to apologize and say hello to my good friend Mike Martin down <laughs> <out laughs> in South <laughs> County. Mike <laughs> Miller, of course, joining us uh, <laughs> for the card. To I thought maybe there was somebody taking over no, the show. No, I, I am oh, getting. Okay. I'm getting up way too early in the mornings on Saturday, I, and now I,
3: <laughs> I wonder why this lasso was around my neck. <laughs> I'm being drugged out of here.
2: I just thought it was your evil twin. Or or something I don't know.
4: <laughs> I also thought you were leaving because Mike Miller has been named the new interim head coach of the New York Knicks. That's what I'm going to be doing. So when I'm not doing the garden you're hotline. You're heading from, from, <laughs> from one garden to Madison Square Garden. Exactly. Mike Miller, go to it, baby. <laughs> All right,
3: folks. Welcome to the garden hotline tip of the trial hour. I'll be giving it shortly, but right now you can call 314 314- Four three six seven nine hundred or one eight hundred nine two five eleven twenty. With your ideas, questions, concerns, or comments. By the way, thanks for having me on your show, where we can dis- discuss plant selection, caring for, ups and downs, and all arounds. Whether it's for annuals, whether it's bulbs, edibles, ground covers, house plants, lawn perennials, roses, trees, shrubs, vines, or water gardens. And uh, I like sharing my thoughts, but please remember, my answers, comments, and opinions. Is certainly not the only garden path to take. I'm going to have an illustration of that real soon. Uh, But it's offered to you, and then you can decide what direction you prefer to go. Alex is running the big board, and he's the one who will answer the phone. All he needs is your name and where you're calling from. He doesn't need what you're calling about or anything else. During the week, I spend time doing landscape consulting where I can come to your home Talk about aesthetic, problem solving, or whatever it happens to be, you can go to my website, www.mikemillerdesigns.com. On the home page is where my email address and phone number are listed. And uh, you can contact me and we'll do a walk and talk, which could be some great fun. Tip of the Trial is a special recognition for individual group or situation that's made an impression on me. And it's brought to you by St. Louis Composting, 636 861 3344. Tip of the Trial goes out to a listener who wasn't able to call in last week. But I don't know if you were listening last week, but a gentleman called and said he had a relatively large daylily bed that the lawn had become invasive into his daylilies. And I told him, basically, there's not really going to be an herbicide that's going to be selective enough to kill the lawn grass without damaging your daylilies. So I told him that he was going to have to dig up his daylilies, separate it, make sure there's no kind of lawn grass root systems or anything like that, and then replant it after he kills off the lawn. And because it's a large bed, he was going to be having to do a section at a time. But somebody emailed me and they said they have found a very effective herbicide called over the top. Now over the top is one particular one, but apparently there's several of them that will kill lawn grass, but will not damage your daylilies. So, There you go. I don't know everything. I can't believe I don't know everything. But no, I appreciate the person. So a tip of the trial goes out to the listener who emailed me about this particular herbicide. She uh, they found it in one. They found over the top in one particular location, garden wise, garden center wise, but it's been available. And under another name, in another place where they happen to be looking just at the products just kind of in general. So something that can selectively kill out your lawn grass without having to dig up your daylilies and replant them. Also, a tip of the trial goes out to the Missouri Botanical Garden. This is the time of year where the Garden Land Express Holiday Flower and Train Show. So you can stop by the Holiday Flower and Train Show. And it's a Victorian style holiday, and it's really kind of a cool thing. It's very ornate. It's in the Ridgeway Center, and it is totally wild and crazy. The larger trains, G scale trains. I was growing up, I had HO trains, but uh, and some N trains, but for the most part, HO. But this is G scale, so I mean, the whole setup is always unique every year. So, if you're interested in going to the Gardenland Holiday or Garden Land Express Holiday Flower and Train Show. Head down to the Missouri Botanical Garden, and you will certainly enjoy that. Uh, 314-436-7900 or 1-800-925-1120. Let's head over to Gloria's yard. Hi, Gloria. How are you?
0: I'm fine. I have a weed that grows. um, It crawls through the zoysia. It has an oval leaf, it's green, and uh, it has a purple flower at certain times of the year. How do you get rid of that?
3: Basically, it's an annual weed, so a pre-emergent is the best thing to go about doing it. Or in your lawn, as long as you're getting it when it's relatively, let's say, I don't want to say new, but as soon as you start noticing it, you can use a broadleaf weed killer on it.
9: Oh, just any broadleaf weed killer? Right. Or it will not hurt your zoysia. It
3: only goes after the broadleaf weeds, which this this particular one is. Okay. It's, and do you it's, know what the name of it is? It's, you know, I can't. Without seeing it's a little tough. My guess is it's probably henbit. Henbit. H-E-N-B-I-T. Thank you very much. Certainly. And, you know, you can check to see if it's henbit by just feeling the stem. If the stem feels square, henbit is in the same family as mint, and all mint family members have square stems. Oh, okay. Thank you. Certainly. My pleasure. And now let's head over to Jean's yard. Hi, Jean.
14: Uh, Hello. Thank you for taking my call. Sure. I have a limelight hydrangea, three of them that have been installed by a landscaper 2 years ago. <clears throat> and I'm wondering when do I trim them back?
3: Are they they're summer bloomers, correct?
14: Yes, they're that like triangular shaped white flower.
3: Right. So anytime until the new growth begins in the springtime. So personally, I don't like to prune going into the winter because we don't know what kind of damage just due to the cold stems, uh, you know, even on shrubs could happen. So sometime after we come out of, let's say, after the end of January, prune them at that time and before any kind of new growth begins along the stems.
14: And how low can I go? Um, I don't ever
3: like to cut more than 20 percent off of the length. Some people cut things back severely and have great luck with it. But I still just don't recommend it.
14: These are about, I'm going to say, max three foot tall.
3: Yeah, I would say if you cut more than a foot, that would probably be extreme.
14: Okay. And there's a real, like, wooded area in this, you know, like, do I go, how do I get, I mean, do I have to keep that or can I go lower with that or the same thing, just go about 12 inches?
3: Yeah, I would do the same.
14: Okay. And just cut them off pretty much evenly, and can I trim them during the summer? Because they kind of went haywire the last summer.
3: Well, that kind of messes them up a little bit. But also, when you make your cut with your pruning, you know, your pruners, make sure you make the cut, or it's best to make the cut at a 45-degree angle, not flat across.
14: Uh, Yeah, that angle. Okay. Yes. Well, thank you very much. Great. My pleasure.
3: Yeah. I mean, when they're, you know, in sort of like – in let's say bloom and cycle and growth cycles with our humidity and with all kinds of airborne fungus diseases bacteria and all that other stuff you know pruning in the summertime is something especially on something that's this is a variety of hydrangea that's not necessarily the strongest one for this region it may cause it some problems related to bacteria bacteria diseases or fungus Mike Miller K MWOX garden hotline back after these messages
2: (laughs) Welcome back to the St. Louis Composting Garden Hotline. Once again, Mike Miller on KMOX.
3: If you do live in an area where there are deer and the deer could cause some problems, woody plant material that deer generally stay away from, ginkgo trees, oak leaf hydrangea, gold thread branch, cypress, hawthorns, American holly, junipers, paper bark, birches, Rosa Sharon, Blue spruce, hypericum, witch hazel, vitex. Those are one of the, or a group of the plant materials that are woodies that the deer generally stay away from. Now, if it's a desperate circumstance, a severe winter, they may cause some damage, but for the most part, they stay away from those particular plants. So 314 436 7900 or 1 800 925 1120. Let's head out to Chesterfield and see what's going on with Scott. Hi, Scott. Hello. Hi.
13: Yeah, I could just barely hear you, but uh, oh. I got an answer and a question. Okay. Question is real short. I assume since that ten degrees in November, I don't have to worry about waiting for the uh, rose hips and all that to prune the roses down.
3: Bas Well, I mean, you should wait. We've. I would wait a little bit, but uh, you don't. You could go ahead and prune now. Plenty of people yeah, love already prune the roses. The Rose Society recommends a really hard freeze, and even though we had that one earlier, it didn't really, like, shut the plant, you know, shut the roses down entirely.
13: Yeah, well, the, I deadheaded all of the roses uh, just in time for them not to have enough warm weather to start making new buds. <laughs> so there,
3: there's no buds. <laughs> uh, yeah, so okay,
13: go. <laughs> answer. The, the last caller in the last hour, he was talking about a gravel driveway. Did I hear that right?
3: Yeah, he poured gravel in the you know in the wooded area, and to me, you know, I don't see how, and I don't know if it was limestone, if it was pea, I don't know what, if it was river rock or whatever it was, but you know, the invasion invasion of the weeds into the circumstance, he wanted to get rid of it, but that's just kind of a, a no win situation.
13: I had a lake house. At like the Ozarks, and mm-hmm. I had a gravel driveway, and I used Ortho Ground Clear. Ah. It It works great. Great. It not only kills the, the top that's growing, it claims to be a pre-emerge also. Really? And it, so when I, I did not spray the whole thing pre-emerge because I wasn't having problems in the entire thing, so I just sprayed it um, where it came up about every two or three weeks in the spring, and maybe once a month in the summer, and it'll keep. If you mix too much, it'll keep for a while. Do not get the pre-mix. They charge you more per gallon for the water than they <laughs> do per <laughs> gallon for the herbicide. So you can get it at the orange box, big box store. Um, oh, You probably should use um, just a pump sprayer if you're not going to do your whole uh, driveway because right. with the pump sprayer, you can just go after what you want and then It'll, it'll keep for at least until the next time you use it.
3: That sounds perfect. Now, what was the name of their product?
13: Ortho Ground Clear.
3: Okay, great. Well, thanks, Scott. Greatly appreciate Okay, thank you. Yep. Yeah. And, you know, it's like there's herbicides constantly being, you know, that I'm not up on every, all of them. So if anybody does have any insight onto something like this, certainly, you know, give a call because, The listener that had this problem may want to look at either products, the one I mentioned or the one that was just mentioned, an ortho product, and make a decision on which one they would prefer to use. If this one has a post-emergent and a pre-emergent combination, that is very interesting. Let's head out to Sunset Hills and go into Kurt's yard. Hi, Kurt. Hey, Mike.
11: Good morning. Good morning. Um, Thank you for... For, for hosting the show as long as you have. Yeah we um <laughs> we we have a house and um, on the northwest corner of the house close to the house in the shadow of a a big mature red oak there's a hemlock and we're looking to pull it out and we're wondering what we might put in place of that.
4: You
3: want something large like potentially the hemlock could get Or are you just looking for a shrub-type thing?
11: More of a shrub-type thing, and and one of the things my wife and I talked about is uh, something in the viburnum family.
3: Certainly. I mean, leather-leaf viburnum would work. There's no getting around it. So if the hemlock was healthy, it wasn't too close to the house foundation, so it had a higher pH or anything along that line— that would work. So, leather leaf viburnum is one of the evergreen types. There's another, you know, another type. I can't think of what the other variety that's evergreen, but leather leaf is a kind of the traditional one. And then, if you want to go with something that's kind of, I don't want to say boring, but run of the mill type thing, go with like a, uh, let's say a dark green spreading type U, like a Niagara U. Okay.
11: Okay. Um... How, how will the viburnum do? The, the bed is somewhat of a raised bed. Will, will the viburnum hold its own in, in that, or does it need down into native native soil?
3: No, no, no. If the soil's improved and it was done correctly, it should do fine. And, again, if the hemlock was growing in there, then the viburnum should go in there and have no problems whatsoever.
11: Awesome. Awesome. Thank you for when would you recommend pulling the hemlock out and planting the viburnum?
3: I would say if you if you want to get rid of the hemlock, I would probably leave it so you don't have cuz you could yank it out and you may not be able to find a viburnum, you know, at the garden centers this time of year. They may be sold out or something like that. So you may just leave the hemlock, pull it out after you've either purchased or you know that the garden centers are getting plant material and they are going to have the viburnum available.
11: Okay, great. Hey, thank you for your help and Merry Christmas.
3: Same to you. And also, make sure that you don't place a viburnum exactly over where the hemlock was pulled out of. You want to make okay.
11: That was one of the things we were gonna. We wanted to move it further away from the house, right? The hemlock.
3: That's smart. Okay, great. Thank you. Certainly, my pleasure. And now let's go over to Kathy's yard. Hi, Kathy.
14: Hi, Mike. Uh, I love your show. Let me tell I've got two older Alberta spruce. They're about 14 years old. They're nice, big, and full, but they're boring. So I want to make a spiral topiary shrub out of them. And I've watched a few YouTube videos. What do you think about that? One, how old are they?
3: They're about 14 years old. I would say it's going to be a disaster.
4: Oh, because the inside's going to be real dark and...
3: And ugly and generally, the, the you know, the spiral type things, they're usually done professionally initially to try to do it yourself. And especially on an older shrub like this, even if it's not a, you know, overly big Alberta spruce, it's right. going to be really, really, really difficult.
4: Oh, I'm so glad I called. I was going to really get into it this spring and do it. I would have been very disappointed. I thank you so much for your advice. <laughs> <laughs> well, you can do it,
3: and then you could always get rid of them if you don't like how they look. But I don't think it's going—you're going to be happy with it. Okay. Okay. Thank you so much. Certainly. But of uh, course, right. you know, if you do it and you are happy with it, you can call and say you don't know what you're talking about. So let's go to South City, and that's where Ron lives. Hi, Ron. Hello. Yeah. Thanks for the
15: call. Um, I've got some Baltic ivy or ground ivy, I'm not sure what it is, but it's growing over a slab, a port slab, and I'd like to cut those stringers off. Can
7: I put those in water and re-root them?
3: Uh, I probably wouldn't put them in water. What I'd do is wait until springtime, cut them off, and then get some rooting hormone at your favorite garden center, dip them in the rooting hormone, and root them that way as opposed to putting them in water.
15: Ah, okay, because I've got a couple in water for about five days and see no activity at all.
3: Well, five days, you're not going to get it. And also, this time of year is not the ideal time to be taking cuttings and trying to root them, even if you have them inside where it's warmer and everything else. Okay, thank you for the information. Sure, my pleasure. Yeah, the rooting. Yeah, the rooting hormone also probably I would take maybe, I don't know how many runners that you're going to cut, but uh, make them – like f- about uh, twelve inches long would be the maximum. Six, you know, any place between six and twelve inches. Remove the lower leaves. Make the cut at a forty-five degree angle. Then dip it into the rooting hormone, and then put and put them in pots with plant uh, with potting mix for starting plant material, and r- probably grow them in these pots for about a year before you actually reestablish them or replant them in another location. Mike Miller, KMOX Garden Hotline, back after these messages.
2: Once again, Mike Miller on KMOX.
3: Yes, folks, got questions, concerns, or comments? 314-436-7900 or 1-800-925-1120. Let's head over to Diana's. Hi, Diana.
0: Hi, yes. Um, I have a question. I have some, um, not blue spruce, but um, white pine trees. Uh Uh-huh. That, that i notice has have bagworms on them Ooh. what can i do about them now
3: nothing unless you want to go i don't know how big they are or anything else if they're small just go out there and pull them off because there's they're basic
0: about seven feet tall
3: yeah so i guess you'd have to be on a ladder and so but that's about the only way to get rid of them
0: um will it kill the trees
3: uh if there gets to be so many on there it could let's say weaken the tree so it could be more prone to let's say, weather-related or any other thing that might cause damage to the white pines just in general. So they de- really technically don't kill, but each one of those bags, depending upon how old it is, I'm assuming they're, these particular ones that you're seeing are, let's say, th- one year old, they're just filled with eggs. So then in the springtime, the eggs are going to hatch, so watch for that closely. Then you can use an insecticide to kill those recently hatched eggs, which look like little tiny miniature bagworms, but there's no insecticide that can penetrate those bags to kill the eggs.
0: Okay. So I'm just going to have to pick them off. Yes. Okay. Thank you.
3: Yeah. So, yeah, I mean, growing up in Ellisville, there was a Fitzers, everybody, you know, my new subdivision, everything else, everybody had Fitzers and other junipers put in front of their house and ours had bagworms. So, uh, We could make some money. My father would pay us, I I think it was a nickel, but maybe that's a little bit high per bagworm that we would pull off the (laughs) junipers. (laughs) So anyway, yeah, they're trouble.
0: uh, uh, Yes, they
3: are. And the trees
0: are only like three
3: years old. Oh, that's all right. Well, yeah. Thank you. Yep, Sorry. And now let's head over to Jeff's yard. Hi, Jeff.
8: Hi, Mike. I had a question about a tiger eye, which I have in my front yard, and it it grows fast. How far back can I cut that?
3: Now, this is tiger eye sumac. Uh,
8: I'm not sure. It's just a, a beautiful yellow colored bush, if you will. Right. When uh, we bought it, it was about three feet tall, and it's four years old, and it's just Overwhelming, <laughs> you know, it, it blocks our view, and I just need to cut it back and and get it out of the way, if you will, without killing it or getting rid of it.
3: Yeah, this I'm pretty sure it's a sumac variety, and uh, it also will colonize. It will start sending you know runners out and oh, yeah. more stems coming up out of the ground and everything else. So probably I would selectively rather than let's say trying to cut it down. And if you have the option, if you can just take a few of the, let's say, canes that are coming up out of the ground and, you know, cut just some of those, you know, out entirely, like all the way down and just get rid of them so you can open up your view. Or if you want to try to cut it back, sometimes they can recover from, let's say, cutting them sumac just in general, cutting, let's say, part of the trunk stalk or whatever you want to call it off. But sometimes they don't, and when they do recover, it's gonna the growth is gonna be a little bit odd anyway because it's gonna come off as like a side shoot off this. Yes. So that's about all you're gonna be able to do. And probably I would not cut more than, again, you know, twenty or thirty percent off of the existing plant material.
8: Okay, the main trunk is about oh five or six inches in diameter. Right, comes up about a foot and then V's off to another two or three, three-inch trunks. Right. And then it, you know, it fingers off from there. So I can cut those back about 20% or so. Yep. You should. Fantastic.
3: And just do All it. Right. Be, yeah, just do it before any kind of new growth begins in the springtime.
8: Right. I appreciate your help. Sure. My Have pleasure.
3: Yeah, that's kind of an interesting uh, shrub. Most people don't go for that, that particular type of plant. Let's head over to Richard's yard. Hi, Richard. Hello. Hi. How
15: you doing, Mike? Very uh, good. I have a question for you. I'm in South County. I've been in this house for at least 30 years, and I have a huge tree um, out next to my patio in the back, and I think it's a maple tree. It's it's huge. I, it's really big tree, and it has a big hole in the trunk. Um, I would say... It's three inches in diameter and maybe eight inches deep into the trunk of the tree. Would this cause a tree to die?
3: It could certainly lead to some real problems because let's say we have rain and rain will run down the trunk and it could run into that hole. And then consequently that could cause some heartwood rot, which is heartwood is like the structural part of the tree, which is mainly the main part of the trunk. The, the part that's the bark and the veins are on the outside of that heartwood. So it could really lead to some real a real disaster. There's nothing you can really do. You can't plug it. Days of old, they'd put cement in there. But the trees, you know, water's going to run into there anyway, and it could actually putting something in there could cause more problems than leaving it open. But, yes, it could really lead to some real trouble for you.
15: Okay, it's still standing, so... <laughs> yeah,
3: I mean, it's not. I'm not saying you have to take the tree out or anything else, but the simple fact that water will run down that trunk and get, potentially get in there, that's what rot is all about, is just water that just sits there.
15: So there's no way to prevent that, huh?
3: Not really. I mean... You could get an arborist to come out and see what they say, but uh, for the most part, there's not too much that can be done in a situation like that. How high is this opening off the ground?
15: Uh, I would say about four
3: feet. Four feet. So was there, I mean, there must have been something there that caused that, like a branch years ago or something. It's really because, I mean, that hole is pretty darn big and for the hole to be that big you wouldn't have had a branch that low on that tree so it's really kind of interesting how it you know it got formed in the first place also birds will get in there all kinds of other things could lead to other problems as well
15: yeah as far as i know that hole has been there for 30 years really yeah it's always been there
3: well if it's that low just take your hand down and put it into the hole and see how, see if it feels mushy or soft on the inside and if it does, yeah, I mean, then you've got real problems.
15: Yeah, the hole's not big enough uh, where I could put my hand in there. Okay. Yeah, so I'm guessing it's only probably two inches diameter hole.
3: Oh, really? See, I thought it was a little bit bigger than that. But it no, could, I can Yeah. Yeah, but just, you know, get in there, get a flashlight, you know, an LED flashlight, and just shoot down in there and see see if it looks wet.
15: Okay. Okay. That's all I could do, right? Pretty much,
3: <laughs> yeah. I mean, there's not too much. There's just nothing that can stuff you can stuff into a hole in a tree that's really effective.
15: Well, it seems to be healthy. I mean, it drops a lot of branches, but usually that's during a storm or something. Right, or some branches that break off. But um, every every uh, spring it comes back and it's beautiful. It cascades right over the patio and it's really shady and it's a beautiful tree. Perfect. I, I just I hate to lose it, right? You know, but do they have a lifespan, these uh, trees? Uh, I think it's a maple.
3: Yeah, they don't there's, have any... there's all kinds of different maples, so it just depends upon the variety as much as anything. But, yeah, they have a pretty extensive life.
13: How long?
3: Uh, again, variety dependent. Any place between, let's say, as old as it is now, 30 years, to like 50 or 60 years.
15: Wow. I bet you this tree is about 50 or 60 years old. Could be. Has to be. Well, great. The old guy that lives uh, um, on the corner said this used to be a dairy farm at one time. And he said, as far as he remembers, that tree has always been there.
3: Wow! So it's got some age. Yeah. So it doesn't produce the maple squirts, the the helicopter type things. So maybe it's not a maple. Yeah. I mean, just look. Go online and just look at, you know, maple seeds, and you'll see if those are...
15: Oh, it does get the helicopter things on it. It does, okay.
3: So, yeah, I grew up on Maple Lane in Ellisville, so we had 13 maples. (laughs) I always filled the gutters up with uh, maple squirts. So thanks, Richard. (laughs) All right. Thank you very much. (laughs) Certainly. So if anybody has any questions or concerns, 314-436-7900 or one 800 925 20.
2: Once again, Mike Miller on KMOX.
3: Yes, folks, back to the phones we go and we're headed to Kevin's yard. Hi, Kevin.
7: How's it going, Mike? Good. i got a question. Um, got some pecan trees mm-hmm. that are probably 75 plus years old. Ooh. And the one, actually, my father-in-law said when he was a little boy, it split and they wrapped the cable around it and held it together and that was like 50-something years ago. So it's it's hanging in there. But my question is, it gets these... Um, I don't want to say bagworms like the other lady said, but it's a... it's a You know, it's I like got on the ends of the branches and it's like a nest or something, if you will, it's full of worms and stuff when you cut it down.
3: Right. Yeah, a lot and of trees it, get that.
7: Okay. It, what, and what can I do for that? I mean... I get up in the tractor bucket and trim the ones that I can reach. But now this past summer, they were like maybe ten of those throughout them two trees up pretty high.
4: Right. I'm.
3: I, I. It happens. It's pretty common. It's not a major disaster as far as the overall health of the tree. They do eat a little bit of the foliage, but they don't really do too much other than like an aesthetic problem of looking at those you know wads of webs and leaves together. Yeah. So that's pretty much it. I wouldn't be overly concerned with it.
7: Okay. All right. And then my second question is I got about three pin oaks that have them, them balls all over them. Oh. That are probably more balls than leaves practically Ooh.
3: anymore. Yeah, that, I, those are sir. galls. And basically what that is is there's an insect, it's a type of wasp, you know, not the classic wasp or anything, the, when the female lays the egg, she drills the you know she drills into the stem, and then deposits the eggs there. And then when the eggs hatch, they cause that bloating, that gall, g a l l, and that gall is basically a protection thing, you know, to keep anything else from, let's say, eating that particular you know bug right. wasp or whatever. Okay. So, so it's so. it's there's not really too much you can do. I mean, you could. If they're if the trees are unhealthy, it sounded like if there's more galls than there are leaves, then I would say hmm. But if if it's you want to take a chance, have an arborist come out because they can you know, do some injections. But uh, to get rid of them, that's going to be real iffy.
7: Okay. All right. Hey, thanks a lot. Love your show.
3: Certainly. Well, thanks for having me on your show. And now let's head over to Belleville and go into Gail's yard. Hi, Gail. It's
13: Dale, D-A-L-E. Oh, sorry. Mike, how you doing this morning? It's all right. Question for you. I have some amaryllis, and I, I've taken them out of the pots maybe six weeks ago, maybe eight weeks ago, and they've been down in the basement getting happy. <laughs> now, I want to put them in some potting soil and get them to go in so I have some kind, of a, some kind of a floral arrangement when the snow's blowing. When should I do that?
3: If they've been in their, let's say, their dormant stage, so in other words, out of the soil, they haven't been watered or anything. You probably no. for six, for eight weeks or so. I might wait another week, but then you could just pot them up and you know, don't get a huge pot or anything else, and uh, go that way. Unless you want to put all of them in one single pot, but that might be a no, little no, too no.
13: Hard. I mean, I I keep them in like three or three or four, and some of them are them long, them long like. Uh, they put in your windowsill pots, you know, them
3: long ones, right. you know. I put three in. Now, uh, should I wait for uh, till after New Year's? No, 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 you don't have to. Once they go through their dormant stage, which is, a, you know, a couple months is what's, re, you know, recommended, then they're ready to go. I'm assuming you cut off the foliage and everything else and they're just laying I there. Did. They still feel firm and everything. So that's about all you really need to do. Well, I'm 75 years old, and I think I'm still in the dormant stage. What do you think? <laughs> well, I'm 70, and I know I'm in the dormant stage. <laughs> well, I'm watering up now. Anyway, enjoy
13: enjoy your show, buddy. Thank you.
3: Well, thanks. Yeah, Amaryllis, we were—I forget what retail store we were at the other day, but they had Amaryllis in two different pots, and it was like, hmm. And then I realized I looked at one of them a ceramic pot, so it was a lot more expensive— the bulbs were the same size and everything else, but in reality, you were you were spending almost twice the amount of money to get a ceramic pot, which is great. Amaryllis are really easy to care for, and I actually put them outside and grow them just with my elephant ears and with my cannas and things like that. And then at the end of the season, I chop off the foliage and just dig them up, and then I just throw them in a cardboard box in the basement. So they're, they're really pretty tough and durable. But, I mean, there's nothing more spectacular in a way when they can flower in the wintertime when everything is a little bit drab and you get flowers that are four to six inches across. If you do have any questions or concerns, you can give us a call. We've got a couple lines open, 314-436-7900 or 1-800-925-1120. Talking about going back to the deer, the, the plant materials that are least appealing to the deer from a bulb standpoint, lycoris, alliums, so the onions, crocus, glory of snow, snowdrops, the scillas, the hyacinths, the grape hyacinths, the iris reticulata, the fritillarias, and the daffodils. So just know that that's there are a lot of the bulbs that are generally being planted are really probably pretty tough in resistance to the deer. Now, the summertime ones, that's a different story. The cannas and the elephant ears and things like that. So let's head over to Ray's yard. Hi, Ray.
13: Hey, Ray. Hi. Hello? Yes, go ahead. Oh, yeah, just a couple of quick questions. You probably said this a hundred times. Um, I have my lawn um, aerated every fall, mm-hmm. and I'm wondering, is that enough or do I need to or is that too much, or do I also need to
3: dethatch? Uh, thatch is like dead, zo- dead grass. So as, okay. even if you bag your, your clippings and everything else, you're going to have dethatch. What you can do is just take a leaf rake out there and just like kind of look at a three-by-three three area, rake it, and see how much debris there is. If you got okay. a lot of debris as a result of that raking, then consequently you should probably have it dethatched. If, okay. If okay. you normally rake, and because you have leaves and stuff, you probably get the thatch out that way. Okay. And is it and has
8: it hurt anything
3: to have it aerated every year? No, no. A lot of people, I mean, like at the botanical garden, they core aerate the garden grounds where the lawns are twice a year. So they do it in the fall and in the spring, both. So you can't really overdo it per se. I mean, I guess you could, but for the most part, no. Once or twice a year is kind of the best way to go about doing it.
13: Okay, yeah, because my lawn guy says as long as I'm doing that, I really don't need to dethatch, and I wasn't sure. So,
3: but Well, uh, well core aeration you know, or deth- and dethatching are two completely different things. Gotcha, okay. And as far as mulching, when's the best time to mulch, in the spring or the fall? Uh, fall is going to be better, you know, but you've got to wait in the fall until the ground gets cold. So, okay. If you put it down too soon, what it does is it prevents a plant material from going dormant. So that's kind of the downside of that. Okay, gotcha. Okay, well, thanks, Mike. Certainly. My pleasure. Mm -hmm. So this is a time of year to really get out there and do some evaluations of your plant materials, especially your evergreens. So if you've got, like, broadleaf evergreens like the hollies and the azaleas and things along that line, and the foliage is looking a little bit, let's say, yellowish, or pale green, what that means is the soil pH, the soil chemistry, is not exactly right. It's too alkaline. So a lot of times, broadleaf evergreens, hollies and azaleas and rhododendrons and things like that, boxwood are planted too close to houses or sidewalks. That leaches alkalinity into the soil. So you putting sulfur and iron down is a way to go against all that. So the best thing to do is take a look this time of year, especially at the you know the evergreens, needle-wise or broadleaf evergreen, and make some evaluation. Thanks, everybody, for calling in today. Thanks for having me on your show. Mike Miller, KMR's Garden Hotline. See you next week. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on What's in Your Podcast queue. And guess what?